Hey, Amir. Did I say that correctly? <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Welcome to Thoughts on Art, everybody. Yeah, this is the uh, no, no little tubins in the background report. <laughs> I'm sorry, the entire day there's been someone outside my window uh, hacking, coughing uh, COVID particles into the air. I hope it doesn't make it into the studio space through the crack in the window. God. Pray for me. I'm, I'm praying extra hard. I don't want to end up like uh, Leonard Cohen dying just like a day or two after Trump was <laughs> elected into office. I made it this far. <laughs> Did you vote yet? You're early voting. Oh my God, we uh we went uh we attempted to early vote yesterday in our uh, in our contentious uh, swing district of uh, <laughs> Park Slope. Uh, and we show up to the poll, the early voting uh, polling station, and there's like a fucking 400 person line that wraps around two blocks twice <sighs> around. And I like chatted up a couple of the people who were standing online, and they said they've been waiting there for like two and a half hours. Uh, so I just went home. I guess I'll just wait for uh, November 3rd to vote because all the Park Slope freaks are like that anxious i guess about early voting so uh there's crazy lines i don't know and when is it again i know it's the first tuesday but what is that november 4 november 3rd oh third okay yeah it's just so funny like the just the least sort of significant or important place in the states in the context of the elections has like the highest levels of election anxiety it's almost like people are lining up there just to like you know get some sense of like relief or outlet for their anxiety um yeah i find i find it really ironic also like the fact that you know literally that constituency has the least at stake in this election like there's literally i just like you, you like browse or comb through the agenda of like both parties none of the like bullet points even like remotely touches the like lives of the park slopians yeah uh does your does your studio neighbor uh Ghislaine Maxwell get to vote or <laughs> Oh my god, that's a good question. Cause you know Bloomberg's been putting all this money into uh like bail funds in uh, Florida so ex felons could vote because you can't vote there unless you've like uh paid off all your like uh, yeah. court court debts and stuff like that, which is insane. So yeah. he's been that Jew's been putting all that money into uh <laughs> democracy there. I guess she hasn't been convicted yet, so she uh, she can. No, I guess she's, she's been convicted in our hearts. Yeah, that's that, which is what matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I have to say this: this election does feel, or I mean, the campaign has stretched on for four years, basically. You know, from day one, and but technically f- five years <laughs> at this point since it started. Yeah, but uh, I have to say. Um, it's surprising there's been no shitty Trump art this time around. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> no, no, I just mean like leading up to the election last go around, you know, there are all those kind of fundraisers for Hillary where it's like, oh, great, I can uh, help Hillary win by hanging this Deborah Casp uh, painting of an oh ugly orange man on my wall. <laughs> what about the Ryan McKinley? Uh- vote voter art i've been seeing that on his instagram <laughs> oh and then wait there was that dana schutz uh trump on the escalator at auction a couple weeks ago <laughs> oh yeah i feel like that was just parlayed by the uh the moment was parlayed by the auction houses and the galleries and the dealers <laughs> under the guise of you know uh trying to understand or distill the moment but it was just a way to like you know jack up the uh the value of the work totally uh being contextual <laughs> oh my god um yeah well i'm drinking yeah i don't sorry what's that no, i was just gonna say I'm, I'm drinking a a festive summer edition red bull it's watermelon flavor <laughs> <laughs> Those things are such crazy, like stomach troublemakers for me. <laughs> oh, how was your uh, upper uh, endoscopy or whatever? Endoscopy it's yeah. a day after a day after the election, assuming oh. we make it. Yeah. So November fourth, 
And I was just reading on the news the other day that the city, like, God knows why they, like, published that, uh, featured that as a main headline. And the newspapers here, they're saying that NYPD is, like, has been telling local businesses and, like, on, like, major uh, street stretches in New York to, like, prepare for riots. Oh, I saw that on the news that uh, businesses are boarding up and all that. Like, why, like, why plant the idea? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, uh, feels like they're willing something into effect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of optimistic, but who knows? Yeah. Well, uh, crossing everything for you. Oh my God. Just don't want to hear about um, those turds anymore. Oh my God. My, just my wet dream is to, on November 4th, to just like log off. <laughs> exactly just say goodbye to all of this yeah goodbye and thanks for the fishes yeah it's been yeah it's been just we need we need a break we need a vacation and i was saying yesterday after seeing how long the lines were for early voting i said like i'd rather just invest those four hours of my life in you know making like polit- political art or anti-trump art in the studio orange rather uh, than color field paintings as i said yes <laughs> or maybe uh a uh catherine uh catherine bernard uh like pastiche that involves <laughs> cheetos or doritos you could just spread a uh, cheeto dust on canvas oh yes <laughs> i'm sure someone has done that or oh, i'm sure of it or just yeah. like uh somehow they got the dust straight from the factory and there's a, a vial of it or a a, oh, yeah. a plexiglass plinth full of it and it's a it's a social commentary on the uh, geopolitical uh, discrepancies uh, <laughs> vis-a-vis the tariff uh, economy and you know yeah there's been a lot of a uh, commentary on art uh, lately kind of stunt art <laughs> you have anything that comes to mind like the pile of carrots oh my god yeah, yeah that was a what, what was that story was he like a BFA candidate or yeah, I guess it was his graduation show, an artist in London. I don't remember if it was Goldsmiths or one of those schools. But um, uh, there was a giant, I don't know, two tons of carrots dropped <laughs> on some <laughs> plaza as a commentary on food waste. Because apparently there are carrots that aren't nice enough to sell at the store as regular carrots. Yeah. But also, that's what uh, becomes baby carrots. So, oh, really? Yeah, they just kind of. Whittle. I thought they just grow out of the ground. Uh, <laughs> tiny little little <laughs> tubins with a uh, no, no. Oh uh, my god! Yeah, shriveled foreskin. <laughs> Thank God nobody's watching a recording, lest we get caught waxing the tubin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's also that artist, I forgot her name. She did that, uh, creative time project in New York a few weeks ago where 12,000, uh, sorry, $1,200 worth of pennies oh my with, God. with a text work were, uh, distributed to bodegas and other, uh, small businesses. Uh, and she harassed people who are trying to stay afloat to participate in inscri- her. What was inscribed? I don't, I don't know. I'll I'll link to it on our Instagram at yeah. thoughts with a zero on art, um, and uh, it also brings to mind uh, all for Eliason's huge iceberg stunt outside of the Tate Modern in London. Oh yes, uh, a commentary on climate change because none of us know. We haven't heard yet. <laughs> <laughs> What so, was that? Sorry, it was just a gigantic, uh, like, piece of an iceberg that was uh, like f- freighted, totally uh, like, v- by maritime means over to uh, London. Yeah, like thousands of kilograms of CO two were expelled to move an iceberg mm-hmm. to London, uh, which reminds me of that first episode of uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where Hillary Banks is like, "Daddy, I need five hundred dollars for a new hat." And she says, <laughs> she says she's going to a save the Everglades bonfire where her and Emilio Estevez and uh, probably Charlie Sheen and whoever else are going to have a big bonfire on the beach <laughs> to Was stop global pre- warming. 
Was that pre-HIV, Charlie <laughs> Sheen? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, which kind of now that you mention that, it reminds me of this. Uh, went to a friend's opening a few years back. I won't mention the friend's name. It was in Chelsea, and uh, she was traveling from abroad for the show opening. And at the opening were a few friends of hers, locals but expats. One of them a UN employee, and he was like just in between jet setting like between <laughs> environmental awareness like summits across the globe oh and was just talking about it with a straight face and the irony was just so incredible yeah it's ridiculous it's uh yeah we don't need more awareness art <laughs> or just any forms of stunt like well also that biennial venice biennial uh, immigration oh. awareness Oh, God, yeah. Or another climate change awareness thing was that opera that won the Golden Lion, uh, where it was like, you know, numerous semi-trucks full of sand were driven in, uh, again, as a commentary on climate change. So they moved, you know, tons and tons of sand. Where are you thinking about the like Bulgarian pavilion at the Venice Biennial? No, the beachgoers. It, it was the beachgoers, but it was, uh, I believe, Lithuania. Oh, Lithuania. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that whole the pavilion was notoriously like uh, bring them to the verge of like uh, debt, like insolvency or like national bankruptcy or something like that, <laughs> because it was so costly to maintain throughout the uh, duration of the biennial. Yeah, I guess because of all the performers and everything. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I just feel like you could get the same point across without having to ship sand from Lithuania. Because yep. sand just is sand. Ask, just ask Greta. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll link... I feel, uh, yeah, uh, I was just going to say, so we'll link to uh, some, some of our favorite stunt art on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like the art world was kind of a uh, steering in that direction for a moment before COVID hit. The like the the environmental awareness and the like uh, carbon, uh, you know, carbon expense like uh, uh, awareness and stuff like that. We'll talk about Kordansky later, but I think there's there's an article that talks about his. Uh, I think it dates back to like February, talking about his expansion and how he's trying to like go green which has been a trend for some galleries as well, I guess, before COVID hit. Uh, um, I mean, COVID pretty much like kind of fixed it for everyone by way of abolishing air travel and other wasteful forms of air, air, uh, airfare uh, freight and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a, it's a wasteful industry. It's not just... Uh, the airfare, but shipping things, uh, you know, between fares is, you know, wastes a lot of energy. Like mm -hmm. these crates are enormous. Uh, I'm sure, you know, any of the large art fairs, there's probably like multiple uh, jets full of cargo going to and from that fair. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's even more wasteful is, I'm sure we've been involved in these kinds of situations where it's like things get made for exhibitions and then are just immediately torn down after whether it's, you know, like a partition wall in a gallery or some part of an installation an artist makes where, you know, there's no way to store it after. So some right. giant object is built using tons of materials and then just uh, thrown out after. So, and I mean, say what you will about the violent capitalism of New York, but like if you compare it to Los Angeles, just in the context of the arts, like East Coast, West Coast, I feel like the East Coast is more burdened by the scarcity of space and that kind of, a, uh, you know, it, it impacts um, the size of work usually shown yeah. and artists are just, you know, by, by way of having smaller studio spaces, they just tend to make smaller works. And exactly. the biggest it gets is not even that big, even in the biggest galleries in New York and Los Angeles is all about the, you know, the ample space. And I'm just uh, researching for this episode, like looking at some like Harold Ankart shows um, one specifically at uh, Kordansky's space he made this huge like wall size painting uh, out of cinder blocks that's like 40 feet long 
And like, what do you do with it? Where do you store it? Who do yeah. you sell it to? Yeah, um, I mean, those uh, the galleries have just grown in size in Los Angeles ever since uh, galleries started moving to downtown LA, you know, to these huge warehouse spaces. Uh, I had a show in one four years ago, and it was just overwhelming. Like That was such a beautiful show. Oh, thank you. I saw it in person. I'll never Thanks. forget it. Thank you. Uh, but it is overwhelming as as a young artist to try to fill the space because you can't even do like a very simple minimal gesture in a space like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's one room, like a typical New York gallery, you could have one object, but you know, one of these warehouse spaces is just too massive uh, right. to do that. You really have to produce a lot of work and there really isn't a budget for that in most cases. So, And as I like to see it, you should be able to like, you know, make your artistic argument concisely, or it should be a, like an exercise that at least you like force onto yourself before you go really big. It's like, you know, yeah. like poetry versus like infinite jest size of like a, a magnum opus. You should really be able to like concisely tell your story yeah, exactly. Uh, before just bl- blowing up scale yeah. uh, to enormous sizes. But uh, like, as you said, with kind of the storage question, or even let's say if someone's buying a work, like even very wealthy people don't necessarily have large homes or uh, a lot of empty wall space or something, you know? So right. most people probably just want to work. That's like three by three feet or like a meter by a meter or you know, slightly larger, you know, not, not one of these kind of museum sized works. It's right. just doesn't work for a lot of people. And then, yeah, storing it, like how do you even get in a, in a door back to your studio or something? Yeah. Or a, or a warehouse space. It can get complicated. It just seems like everything is became like a pornographic, like, uh, exercise in how to ship the biggest possible work how to get it through the narrowest possible like doorway and like everything has just become such a porn of scale yeah yeah definitely yeah it's uh there's nothing wrong with making human-sized works because then it's better for the environment it's better for us it's probably better for a collector or an institution that has to deal with it so uh yeah. yeah Ain't, ain't no shame. Like, I don't see the like a, the effect or the impact in like a twenty feet like Calvin Marcus Pinocchio painting <laughs> in terms of just you know the relationship you have with the canvas when you're when you're standing in front of it in a in a museum show. I feel like artists don't even kind of invest too much thought in the type of relationship the viewer has with different scale work. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, oftentimes, uh, it's just viewing or standing in front of a, a work that is either significantly smaller than you or is just smaller than you, there's a different type of ownership or relationship or dialogue between you and the work. And a work that sort of consumes you just by way of its sheer size, I don't know that a lot of people are giving even thought into like what that scale effect has on the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it mostly just has this uh, effect of spectacle. You know, it's it's something where you're wowed quickly. You know, it's giant, and that's it. It doesn't give the work any more weight or meaning or any other kind of emotional presence. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I think the uh, a Catherine Bernhard uh, Cheeto <laughs> painting could be <laughs> a quarter of the size and has the same meaning. So, I mean, those take like 30 minutes to make, so why not make them as big as possible so you can also... Oh, yeah, and then they cost more because you uh, you add the length to the width and uh, multiply by your factorial. So that's part of it, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, unless you're Chagall and you're making huge wall-sized paintings that end up at the, uh, at the windows of the Metropolitan Opera House. <laughs> Think twice about scale and size. Um, Bigger isn't always better. Yeah, and also, like, I will not mention the artist's name, but I was talking to my New York gallerist uh, the other day, and we're talking about this, like, almost sense of a obligation for artists to, you know, sign up with a 
either a blue chip gallery or just a you know bigger scale gallery to just immediately up the scale whether it's necessary or conducive or even effective uh to the work and it's almost like it's like part and parcel as they see it of the experience to just like up the scale regardless of yeah. anything no definitely <clears throat> all right okay before we go on i just want to uh give a little shout out is that okay mir yeah, of course. Okay, so I just want to mention uh, a really great project uh, that I've been involved with. Uh, it's called Artist Charity Aid Network, and they've been releasing affordable artworks, uh, which are around 250 euro. Uh, and the artist selects a charity or a good cause that the money will go to. And the donor receives the artwork upon proof of donation. So like the artist isn't selling or handling the money, neither is this initiative, Artist Charity Aid Network. Uh, so it just kind of simplifies things. And uh, I recently donated a work with proceeds going to Stop Bzdurom, which is an LGBT activist organization in Poland. And um, so today they announced that there will be new works available uh, by a few artists on October 30th. Uh, which are Inga Danish, uh, Sung Tiu, Sanya Yakovelva, Max Kirmza, and Tom Cruel. Uh, so check them out on Instagram. It's at Artist Charity Aid Network. And uh, it's a great opportunity to buy some really great works and support a good cause. Amazing. Thanks. <laughs> Fingers crossed for the cause. Yes. Many causes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. Uh, Can I just. Can I just say on a side note, just like Instagram the past week or so, like I've been following everything that's happening in Poland and maybe you can say a word or two about mm -hmm. this uh, political moment in Poland. But like, I just am scratching my head. I don't understand why there's so much non-American like posting and involvement in American issues as, as if they're like, you know, tethered to the everyday lives of Europeans. Like after Amy Coney Barrett was a... Uh, um, you know, confirmed for the Supreme Court. Like I just was seeing a slew of like non-Americans yeah. like re resharing that like quote unquote scathing times profile about <laughs> her. I'm just asking myself, like, how does it relate to your own lives in any yeah. form or shape? Well, I think it's that, uh, outsized American influence on literally everything in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, this, I think especially in the Trump administration, it's like, this has been really prevalent on Instagram and not that these issues aren't important, uh, you know, to everyone and humanity. But I think like you said, like if, you know, there are people I've seen who are in, you know, other parts of Europe or in Germany or something, uh, posting about, you know, Amy Coney Barrett, like how this is a travesty, blah, blah. blah. And meanwhile, there is this thing happening next door in Poland. Mm -hmm. And I think, the immediate effect of what's happening in Poland is actually something that does and can affect people's lives in Europe because yeah. Poland is a part of the European Union. Uh, you know, there's been this very tumultuous history uh, in this part of Europe with, you know, Poland being in the Soviet sphere of influence and now as a part of the de facto West. Uh, but it just seems to continuously be kind of like this test lab for social chaos uh, as the decades go by. Yeah, and also Poland's uh, way more Catholic than the states. Yeah. Is there a separation of a state and church? Uh, not like in the states where, you know, it's this de facto statement. Like, I don't think there is this overt uh statement in the constitution unless i'm wrong but mm -hmm. the basically what happened was so i was just at the ceramics retreat like part two of the residency where we were doing our glazing mm -hmm. uh in southern poland this past weekend and one of the artists there her name's eva she's 60 years old so she remembers a lot and she was arrested in the 80s for protesting Mm -hmm. And she was saying that like they used to do exhibitions in churches in Poland because they were actually much more progressive and were open to, 
you know, like artists engaging there and doing projects and we're she just was the, uh, p- she was a proto pussy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were just, they were like the resistance, but it's like, of course they were the resistance because they just wanted to have more of an influence in the country. They were also, you know, most likely in cahoots with the CIA and, just being kind of like another element to bring down, you know, like the socialist sphere in central and Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And so at, you know, back then it was like this beacon of hope for people engaging in, you know, their life in the church. Uh, but then as communism fell, they just kind of got more and more influence uh, in the country's political life and people's, you know, personal lives. So like in 1993, there was this compromise made, which was about uh, abortion rights. And so abortion wouldn't be banned, but abortion could only happen in cases of rape and incest, uh, a situation where the mother's life is threatened, or if the fetus is considered unviable and, you know, it's just a, torturous to the fetus or to the mother to give birth to a child Mm -hmm. that'll die like soon after birth or with like very severe defects. So this has been kind of, uh, the agreement that's, you know, gone by since 1993. And then it got to the constitutional tribunal, uh, last week, which everyone basically agrees that this happened because it's coronavirus now. And, that it might be a difficult time to protest or what have you, uh, because like cases have been skyrocketing throughout Europe and Poland, uh, you know, and there's like new lockdowns happening and stuff. So, but miraculously, uh, you know, there has been a response to this constitutional tribunal ruling, which has basically uh, struck down the right to have an abortion uh, in cases where the fetus is unviable. So that happened about a week ago and there've been mass protests throughout the country. Uh, and it's not just women protesting, but there's kind of every other part of society coming, you know, in support of the women protesting, not just men and various gays like me, but, um, (laughs) you know, like I've seen videos and I've seen this in person, like garbage trucks honking in, you know, in support. Uh, even there was a video online of like police officers that took off their shields and helmets and were marching with the women. Uh, today in Warsaw, there was like a big group of taxi drivers that were protesting in support. There've been farmers in support, miners, uh, Basically, this might be a turning point where so many people in society who have had an issue with this government that keeps gaining more and more control, uh, this might be a time where the tide changes finally because people have just had enough. uh, Right. You know, about like an invasive government and also things are not getting better. And with coronavirus, you know, things were under control and now they've gone a lot worse and there isn't more mm-hmm. control for small businesses. Right. So yeah, I'm hopeful. And I was at a protest on, on Sunday in front of a church, <laughs> uh, with the artists and we got a lot of honks of support, thumbs up people, you know, telling us they support us. And there were only kind of three psychos we dealt with. So, mm-hmm. and you love getting honked at. I love getting honked at. <laughs> I love one-on-one FaceTime with uh, cuties. Yeah. And yeah, there were guys where I was like, oh God, these guys in the parking lot waiting for us that look like thugs. They're going to tell us off. And they're like, mm-hmm. hey, we really support you. <laughs> I was just talking with my wife about this and this is stupid. So yeah. yeah. It's funny because most of my adult life, I've uh, lived abroad outside of Israel. And so my first seven years in Berlin, I was kind of on... A student visa and all that stuff and i could never really afford to have any sort of brush with the authorities or with the law so anytime like there was a political moment that required like hitting the streets i like instinctually was like just fearing that i yeah. guess and so i developed this 
this kind of reflex to uh, kind of stay at home whenever the moment gets heated. And also here in the States as well, like I only got my citizenship a year and a half ago. And before that, like, at least that's the notion that I get here that you just, you really don't want to mess with the authorities here because everything yeah. just ends up on your record. Yeah. Well, especially there, like there, it is an issue if things end up on your record. Yeah. Whereas I don't think they matter here. Like if I had a criminal record, I don't know. It's like, maybe I can't run for president or something, but like yeah. in America, it is so, it's like really to scare people. Like this is going to be on your record and you won't be, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like you're not going to get a job. Yeah. You're not going to be a teacher. No, America's really psychotic about those things. and really just uptight. There's like, they keep scaring you throughout different like points in your life that like if uh, you do this then the next step could be taken away from you and like exactly. the upward mobility can be pulled from under you at any given moment exactly so yeah i um i was anticipating police presence but there was none and the people who had an issue with us uh look uh Okay, they're really ugly. Sorry, this is an aesthetics-based <laughs> podcast, so I'll say it. It's like, they're really ugly. Uh, like, the hot people were supportive, and the ugly ones had a problem. And mm-hmm. the only teens that I saw that, like, went to this church, um, it was mostly families or, like, really old people. And then there were two teens that were just, like, like pasty blobs that, mm-hmm. you know, incel light. And uh, as a fatty, I'm allowed to say that they were not cute. So, <laughs> so well, check yourself. Fingers crossed for the cause. Yeah. No, I feel hopeful for once. You know, other protests, I just feel are like, you know, like a Greta Thunberg protest. I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. this is not going to do anything. This is such a complicated issue. But I feel like this thing happening right now, like something tangibly could improve. So, yeah. I mean, I personally am on like Esser Ver Kim team in terms of like, just <laughs> being scared of the energy of protests and like, just feeling like it, like it can come for you and it closes in on you. Yeah. So I'm of that camp i don't know if it's by way of as i said the habitual like not not hitting the streets because of uh because of like visa and uh and permit issues but like i'm guess i'm just a scaredy cat and i like big shout outs to all the people who were hitting the streets uh here this past summer yes definitely in new york uh can you give us some background on the esther kim verit since you mentioned it <laughs> just just uh we have uh we so we've discovered through our analytics we have uh we have viewers that are, you know, hardened artists and people that are kind of more casual into arts and culture. So what, can you give us some background? Yeah. So Esther Verikim is the founder and owner of uh, Various Small Fries, a... Fires. LA <laughs> fires. Sorry. What did I say? <laughs> Various Small Fries. Oh my God. I guess that's, that's what I think it's called in my head until I have to spell it out. Various Small Fires. Which is a uh, taken from a Ed Rocher painting, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, I totally blocked that out. <laughs> yeah, I assumed uh, it was. Uh, sorry, I assumed it was like when she was starting the gallery and she was, you know, like spiraling and fetching, and she's like, "I have so many various small fires to pull out before this <laughs> place opens." <laughs> um yeah so she's the founder of very small fires in los angeles and also might be known to you from a uh a character that was based off of her on girls season (laughs) four maybe oh my god i forgot about this (laughs) that it that uh up-and-coming inspiring asian gallerina that actually used to work together with the god i'm forgetting the character's name now what's allison's uh uh, the charlotte of uh girls <laughs> damn what's her name like the, also her, her the uptight <laughs> uptight gallerina <laughs> okay uh anyways there was a character in girls based on her this sort of like uppity high strung uh up-and-coming uh gallerina and so various small fries of gallery in los angeles and esther kim is the uh, founder owner she's married to this jewish uh, uh investor angel investor i'm sure that's a euphemism for like some <laughs> some shady things that 
go on there. Uh, and then after the George Floyd killing in a, at the end of May and all the riots in LA, she, I guess, notoriously like made a social media faux pas uh, and posted something about how scared she is for her kids in her like, I guess, gated community house in LA and with like the protests uh, taking place outside her house and something like really yeah her kids can't whatever her kids couldn't sleep because of the ruckus or something and yeah and uh she was taken to task on instagram by uh by a few people but uh mm-hmm. an artist who i follow who i appreciate his posts <laughs> <laughs> and there was a back and forth of apologies and then like actually i take back my apology and um yeah, well, it's interesting because this is someone Marnie, who has... Marnie, sorry, Marnie's the name of the Oh, yeah, Marnie. <laughs> Marnie on Girls. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, I'm the Marnie of this podcast. I'm not Lena. <laughs> sorry, I love what, you, Lena. Come what's on the yeah, pod. We love you. No, but... Hannah? Hannah Horvath? Hannah Horvath, yeah. Uh, which I believe is a Hungarian name. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but apparently she's Polish on the show, but... Or a Polish Jew, it, or I don't know, it's yeah. ambiguous. But there's a Polish I, reference, but it's a Hungarian name. Yeah. I love you, Lena, with or without your fallopian tubes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we love you. Uh, so We should talk about art on girls at some point. We should uh, dedicate an episode to that. Actually, we should. Like there's we should, a lot of yeah. good moments. When she gets locked in that video installation. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Who would you say that was a uh, vague reference to well, that episode? Does that refer to like a, like a, a, uh, the spirit of uh, an artistic era rather than a specific artist? I feel like there's a... Um, a Cyprian Gaillard, like, uh, yeah, I think it, it's like that artist is just uh, an amalgam of various kind of bro artists that not like a Dan Colon bro artist, you know, like Dan Colon is like six five and hot, mm-hmm. but kind of a bro artist that's just uh, kind of Weasley. You think Dan Colon's hot, yes, he's like massive and has a giant D as per one of his artworks <laughs> that has a facsimile of it. Um, but Sorry, I gotta look up pictures of him. <laughs> but uh no, and I met him once and he was he's handsome. But uh no, I think he it's I think that character was an amalgam of kind of like these Weasley bro artists that kind of in any other sector of life would be like a total loser. Um and I think the work it was like Nam June Pike esque, but also just kind of like 80s assemblage sculpture video installation i don't know yeah it Um, definitely had like a media age commentary vibe to it yeah in a retro kind of way yeah it felt very retro even when that episode came out it didn't feel Mm -hmm. it wasn't like post net art on girls or anything like that right um but sorry that was a that was a nice era the white art bro (laughs) it was nice while it lasted Back to very small fires for a second. Okay, it's this is this is a a gallery that has an outsized media presence. Uh, you know, various uh, artnet.com articles, our Bible. Um, I think other media sources as well. I'm kind of realizing that's like the common denominator of the big LA gallery, like just the sheer distance from New York, I feel like the PR presence, the the over presence of some LA based galleries is like curious. Yeah. And so speaking of uh curious media presence, I think that is a perfect lead in to the David Kordansky article in the New York Times uh last week. Mm-hmm. Uh so just a, just a few words about David Kordansky. Um, has a, uh, I wouldn't call it blue chip. What's the, what's the, what's the actual I'd say, term? I'd say he's a like mid tier gallery. He's a very successful kind of mid market dealer. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. A Jew from Mississippi, which uh, sounds made up. Yeah. Uh, wealthy upbringing. Oh wait, but, uh, oh, sorry. Mississippi, fa- not Missouri. Father was a doc. father was a doctor. 
mother was a family therapist, uh, got accepted to the uh, Hartford Art School in the late 90s, um, I guess, and then moved in uh, 2000 to the West Coast, and uh, Cal Arts, while studying arts, sort of became friendly with his uh, with some people and was resolved to then, like, you know, show them, essentially. There's a lot of, like, euphemistic language uh, in s- several different profiles throughout the past 10 years about this like um this evolution of his from um being a uh, aspiring artist to uh, becoming a dealer um yeah he says in one profile that uh uh what is he saying um he was uh you know not dogmatically opposed to anyone approach to making art and was just kind of like wishing to like expand the field and uh, also feeling hungover from like conceptual art that was pretty prevalent and big in that day whatever that means Okay, so given, let's just put everything in context, everything that's been happening since the spring mm-hmm. in 2020, and then we get a New York Times story that came out October 20th by Robin Pogrebin. Pogrebin. Culture Desk. From the Culture Desk. Uh, also you know, the, uh, the, uh, the co-author of The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, an investigation, which I have not, I have not read. I also can't tell if Pogrebin is a Jewish last name or not, but she does look Jewish. I, I'm not allowed to say whether I think she does or not. Uh, okay, so Robin Pogrebin. Uh, there's a story that says, with black artists' input, one gallery is starting to look different. The Los Angeles dealer, David Kordansky, is using this moment to get more serious about helping and hiring people left out of the conversation. Uh, so, before I get and more white, into... Oh, sorry? And the white savior rides in. Yes, it's, uh, it's definitely a white savior story, which did not have comments enabled until a few days ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is is just endemic of the some of the New York Times more like objectively interesting and con- uh, contentious uh, contentious uh, articles. Like I feel like most of the stuff that you'd want to post, like you want to comment on in the Times, is blocked out. Yeah. Also, what I think is uh, before I get more into the story, what I think is really interesting about this is that this uh, writer covers basically news kind of stories in the art world. She's not an art critic or, you know, writing back, writing about exhibitions or, you know, artwork. It's more kind of the happenings of the art world. So, but the, the angle is very specific and yes. And other stories have been about, you know, like the tumult happening at the Guggenheim. So those are relevant stories. Uh, Mm -hmm. But something about this story, (laughs) Seems a bit rotten, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a little SpawnCon-y and paid for. Yeah, either SpawnCon or like, I don't know, uh, a PR director that has cards to play with her or the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, because how did she come across a story about yep. uh, the specific dealer uh, and his uh, white saviorism? <laughs> oh, and then the people that are kind of give comment uh, to sort of reinforce the narrative are various gallery artists and people that have worked with him. So it's like yeah, a it's whole, like a, yeah, it's like a round table at a Fox news with like Rudy Giuliani <laughs> and Chris Christie talking praise of Donald Trump. Yeah. And so basically the story just goes through, you know, all these, you know, he works with uh, a lot of black artists, which, you know, apparently is more of a recent thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, let's just uh, <laughs> let's just mention to our listeners that among his artists, uh, the better known ones are Jonas Wood, which I think he was uh, their relationship was uh, the most significant uh, to Jonas Wood's uh, rise to whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, Richard Tuttle, monetary. Richard Tuttle, who just uh, just joined the gallery, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then some great uh, artists like Rashid Johnson, Lauren Halsey, Sam Gilliam, Dina Lawson, and Adam Pendleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and all those artists I just mentioned are black artists. Uh, yeah, but he he 
I guess had an I mean, epiphany. He fam- <laughs> yeah. That he famously, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Like he famously claims to have like given Sam Gilliam's, uh, uh, Gilliam, uh, his day in the sun, um, sort of taking him out of his, uh, long decade, no, uh, uh, anonymity and bringing him, uh, into, uh, some, you know, focus yeah. again. Anyway, I think, uh, you know, we'll link to the story, but my issue with the story is the same as other similar stories that I'll get into that have come out recently, where if you, let's say, own a gallery and realize there is some sort of issue with, like, an imbalance in your gallery or people that aren't white not being given opportunities then you should correct that and make an effort and not call the New York Times to publicly highlight it. <laughs> right. Because that just opens the door for people to, you know, to scrutinize it because all you have to do is like scroll back through Google to like a 2014 T-Magazine profile that features a, a gallery uh, uh, photograph of his entire roster and a single person in that photograph is black, and that's Rasheed Johnson. Exactly. Like, and what? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, like, uh, as uh, so the Instagram account cancel art galleries. Uh, you know, many people have chimed in with some stories they've sent into the account, pointing out exactly that that uh, you know. Is this like a genuine effort to kind of right a wrong in society, or is it uh, him just trying to, you know, just be on top of things and not look out of touch and be part of a market moment? Yeah, um, and he def he definitely pulls up plays a Biden card where he says that the uh, killing of George Floyd was the thing that the catalyst sort of for a deeper investigation. Which, yeah, I know I'm a white person, but I think that's so offensive. Like, I don't. It. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely offensive. It's just a little uh, cynical. I don't know. Do I even have to mention that? Like, isn't it obviously cynical? It's cynical, and it sounds like uh, like a PR specialist, you know, wrote that for you. Like, right? If you needed the murder of a black man to. Uh, somehow make your business better. <laughs> That's really fucked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a uh, piece about him on uh, Artnet News or Bible, talking about his expansion from uh, you know from a, sm- a relatively small space to a seven thousand square feet new space, and the whole angle was actually about the environmental sort of awareness that he wishes to strike a balance on in his expansion, and it just it feels like. There's, you know, always trying to tap into, like, whatever the next, like, potentially profitable trend is. And having had that history, you kind of read the this puff piece profile about him with just a lot of a grain of salt, essentially. Like, you got to ask yourself, is it really kind of a, a moment of epiphany that he uh, had experienced? Or is this just, you know, another means for him to kind of parlay the moment into just bigger expansion uh, profitability yeah and just just a self-serving narrative because what would be the story in the new york times otherwise like mm-hmm. like la dealer does best <laughs> like yeah um also yeah. these just i don't know these like eye roll genuflections he's quoted saying in the puff piece it can't be business as usual anymore for me, Mr. Kodansky said. We show a number of artists of color, but that diversity was not reflected in the individuals who occupy the space of the gallery. Like, whose fault know, was you're that? The owner, yeah. you, you're the owner of the gallery. You've had all these years to make a change. It's like, you know, the the uh, arguments Trump was trying to make against Biden. Like, you've been a politician for 47 years. Why haven't you yeah. done anything about it? <laughs> like, you, you needed a uh, a black person to be killed by a police officer to, like, realize that there's yeah. not, a, like, a single black employee on your roster and your staff. Sorry. Exactly. And it's not that he's, like, the gallery's in Anchorage, Alaska, and he's like, oh, I... There's no black people here. It's like, you're in fucking Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You know, uh, 
it's just so absurd. And it's just this like general, like Adam Neumann-esque, like also language about everything. There's another quote from the, uh, from the puff piece, bespectacled and youthful. Mr. Kordansky can come across as an earnest impassioned graduate student who uses phrases like peel it back the onion and dig into the marrow of our being and try to be a conduit of love. But he recognizes that he can sound in his words, hippy dippy artists say his intensity furthers a spirit of community at the gallery. I don't know. Sounds like Adam Neumann to me. <laughs> Member of the tribe. Yeah, that's uh, the uh, former CEO of SheWork. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> Whose piece that I just saw? Oh yeah, I saw it at Fiac. This like neon wall installation that in, that uses the the WeWork font, but instead it says We Can't Work. Hmm. Hmm. I'll do a Michael Barbaro. Hmm. <laughs> oh maybe we can have him on one day he's yeah. uh he's of our tribe so maybe he'll make an appearance which, which tribe is that <laughs> which of the many tribes is that <laughs> uh, oh my god here another quote from the article some galleries have never had an african-american artist or maybe only had one how can you be a gallery based in North America and not have an African-American as a critical part of your program? Uh, I Mr. don't know. Pitt. What were you doing five years ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a that's a question quote from Mr. Pendleton, Adam Pendleton, an artist of the gallery. Uh, that's never been the case with David. He shows queer artists, black artists. It just seems to be a part of who David is. It should be a part of who we all are. Sorry, but all of that sounds like somebody has a gun held to their head. Totally. It just like forced testimonials. (laughs) It's like, Um, what what is this, a Nexium meeting? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, totally. And like, of course the gallery has uh, some queer artists. I'm looking at the website now. There's like 30 artists listed, like by sheer, uh, you know, chance there's going to be someone that's not straight (laughs) yeah and also you can just declare yourself a uh, queer at this point yeah um like i don't know jonas wood can wake up tomorrow morning and be like i'm queer i'm queer yeah no it's true um oh god it's just you know what it just sounds like diversifying your portfolio and that's always like uh you know, attuned to the, like the changes, uh, yeah. the times and just seeking a better form of profitability. I yeah, like, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm white. So like, I, I can't make those claims, but like, I don't truly see how it uh, advances the cause substantially rather than lift some boats in this rising tide. Uh, maybe I'm just too cynical, uh, about this whole thing. Well, I just think when there's articles like this, it feels like it's not a a good faith effort. It's more like a I need to pull out, uh, put out any fires that may come up. Mm-hmm. Because, like we said, if if it was a genuine effort to kind of rebalance, you know, a severe imbalance in the gallery's roster or in the who's working at the gallery, but if you're having to like plant a PR story. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem kosher. Yeah. It's like when the New Yorker published that Hunter Biden, uh, profile, like uh, a month and a half ago or two months ago, like just trying to like curtail any like future, uh, uh, like oppo that will come out against him. Um, it just makes you look guilty. And then the next show, the upcoming show at the, uh, at the space, um, is in collaboration um, with the Racial Imaginary Institute, which is, according to their website, our name, Racial Imaginary, is meant to capture the enduring truth of race. It is an invented concept that nevertheless operates with extraordinary force in our daily lives. Um, and so it's a curatorial team made out of uh, made up of poets, curators, philosophers, scholars and activists, filmmakers, playwrights, and I guess the show, let me go into the uh, show's page um, here. It says, Kordansky presents Listening for the Unsaid, an online group exhibition curated by the Racial Imaginary Institute featuring works by Danielle 
Brathway, Cheerly, et cetera, et cetera. This kind of, it just makes me think of, you know, early COVID when Swerner decided to give a leg up to some, some like select few galleries um, and give them a chance at like, you know, playing in a like adults, adults playground essentially. Yeah. Um, as you said, it just doesn't feel very like good faithy. Yeah. To me. Yeah. I think um, I'm just, I, something doesn't smell right when there's, when someone draws too much attention to the good things they're doing. Like, yeah. I think it's one thing if somebody else brings that attention and, you know, says, I want to commend this gallery or this institution or this individual for doing something positive for society. And, but when it's clearly something of your own doing, and lately there have been a lot of examples of that where somebody has said, you know, like, oh, we're a really queer, open, accepting Chinese restaurant in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, there was another example of this recently. Uh, I can't remember now, but you know, this, I, I mean, Google images has a feature now. Like uh, I just, the other day I was looking up Sahadi, which is like in my studio neighborhood. And it mm-hmm. has this feature now that uh, wait, let me, uh, let me pull it up. Um, it has this feature that like tells you when you look up the business, uh, what its characteristics are in terms of like ownership and stuff like that. So th- it says that it's a uh, LGBTQ friendly and women led Sahadis. Like, I don't care. I just want a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's just really like overdoing it because this is New York city. This is yeah. just like the fucking four hour long early voting line at park slope. Like, you're just overdoing it. Like we all know that this is the most like uh, open and gay friendly and women friendly, non-sexist city as possible, like compared to other places in the state. So like, what's the point of like, I hate to use that term, but what's the point of all this, like just performance and virtue signaling? Yeah. I mean, at least in this situation, it's a kind of an objective kind of like a data point but uh just this thing of people being like hey we're a very you know like x y and z woke business and then it always isn't true it's like where there's yeah, smoke there's fire for some yeah before some story comes out like uh mission chinese where like shocker like give someone like a uh, an inordinate amount of power and they'll abuse it eventually and regardless of their color or their gender they could also be shitty yeah exactly and there was ugh, i'm really upset because i had a tab open and it crashed but there, <laughs> but there was like another story like this of somebody you know going on about how progressive they are and then something comes out where it's like actually they were the worst so yeah yeah it's, it's just, just like being once one step ahead of any potential criticism just opens the door to like doing oppo research yeah. <laughs> about you essentially and i also don't understand why anyone would want to be involved in a relationship that just clearly feels paternalistic and condescending yeah like somebody's giving you a leg up for insincere or like not necessarily good faith reasons yeah exactly but that's not for me to say because I'm not a uh, underprivileged or underrepresented artist just in terms of my my you know group affiliation or category but like I'm just saying this is an outsider this reeks of paternalism yeah no I agree all right onwards um Amir did you see the bad boys go to africa video uh I don't think I have Okay, so... I, like, read about it in passing, but I haven't watched the video. Okay, so I watched it yesterday. Uh, So, Bad Boys Go to Africa. Uh, It's a video by the collective Frankfurter Hauptschule. Uh, So... Is that, like, Boys Joseph Boys? Joseph Boys the (laughs) artist? Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. Okay, so, before I give any more insight into the background of the video... I just have to say that uh, you should watch the video because the two guys in it are certified thoughts of the pod. And <laughs> and on behalf of you and I, uh, we approve. So, so 
Okay, so basically, uh, just to give some background, uh, according to uh, our friend of the pod, Kate Brown, at uh, Bible Artnet News, uh, artists pulled a Borat on the art world by pretending to steal a Joseph Boys from Germany and giving it to Tanzania as a comment on colonial plunder. Okay, so I think, first of all, they didn't pretend. I believe it's true, actually. Uh, from what I read, that there's a Joseph Boys or Joseph Boys addition, uh, which kind of looks like a yellow light bulb with a lemon, mm-hmm. and they took this work from a museum in Munster and brought it to Tanzania uh, to a museum uh, set to the Toto song "Africa," <laughs> where they actually did a dance in the rains of Africa in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, goofy and satirical video and yeah there was a handover ceremony etc etc so yeah it's on artnet.com so my kind of first reaction is I'm not a fan of all the aesthetics of the video but Mm -hmm. I fully support the gesture Uh, I'm watching it on mute now as you speak (laughs) and I think this is actually uh Oh, wait, wait. Okay. Sorry, breaking news. There was an addendum at the end of the article. Note, Mm -hmm. the story was updated on October 26th to include new information from curator uh, Dionis Magumba that the work installed in Tanzania was actually a replica and that the theft was staged. Interesting. Uh, Okay, because I fully support the theft, so... There's also footage of them on a flight to Tanzania with their masks off, <laughs> which is a little disturbing. The plane's very empty. Uh, yeah. There's mask safety videos you can see also. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're on a, I believe, Emirates flight. Um, or is it Qatar? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, this this is actually a situation where I think awareness artwork works. Because I feel like in the eyes of most of the world... They do not know about the uh, colonial connection that Germany has mm-hmm. and the countless works that were plundered from Africa and other corners of the globe, uh, which are uh, in Germany right now and will probably never be restituted. Uh, yeah. And where there is a very paternalistic attitude towards kind of the quote unquote protection of these artifacts, uh, including things like human skulls. Um so it also just generally seems to uh have been done with just a good amount of good faith and there's no like uh high financial stakes for this whole whole operation it's not like a you know a bi- biannual stunt or something exactly like that. uh that's co-sponsored but like by like three mid-tier galleries and like an upcoming uh museum yeah, exactly. exhibition yeah it uh like you said a, a good faith effort and i think this is actually uh a media tool or an artwork that will actually educate a lot of people uh, and also, about this issue. I guess issue. I'm just realizing now what I like about this work. It's a work done by Germans and it's actually humoristic. It's funny, which is such an anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like good spirited, fun, lighthearted, but uh, contains sort of a, a deep message, tries to convey something uh, important. Yeah. And, uh, and there's some cuties in it, so can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Frankfurter Hauptschule. I guess I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I support anything in the uh, artistic German realm that uh, deals with raising awareness to uh, <laughs> past, past atrocities, national and personal. Uh, I think we've seen one too many things about the Holocaust. Now it's time to just uh, sit on the sidelines, just step aside and let this issue become uh, sort of a more forefront topic. Totally. I support that. Yeah, that's a that's two thoughts up from a thoughts on art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my All god. Right. Well, is there, is there anything uh, you're excited about this week, Amir? Um, what am I excited about this week? I'm like, I got this, the upcoming election. Uh, everybody should, uh, New Yorkers should go see Jordan's beautiful show at the Grand Street James Cohan space. Yeah, so it looks Just amazing. Opened. Congratulations. Congratulations. We had such a nice gallery lunch in uh in the village. Uh they like converted some blocks to like just open streets that are perma blocked to traffic now at this point. And so they really took advantage of like 
the the ability to just like walk on the uh, walk on the street and they just turn turn the block into like uh, I forget what corner it is, but just put so many like tropical plants there and oh, we had nice. such a nice like environment uh, for a nice gallery lunch. And yeah, you got to see the show; it's really beautiful. What else am I excited for? It's just been working a lot in my studio making new bodies of work and paintings and uh i finally finished the uh the neapolitan quartet of elena ferrante <laughs> which i very much enjoyed and i even finished that shorter novella the lost daughter in like three days which i also enjoyed so our women listeners hit me up on instagram or whatever if you want to discuss some <laughs> ferrante <laughs> i'm a sen- i'm a sensitive male and I don't have any any book lovers in my life to like discuss my anxiety driven uh, COVID readings. <laughs> so reach out to me. Sorry for the uh, incoherent uh, blathering. <laughs> what, what are you excited for? Uh, well, okay, I just got back last night from uh, from the ceramics thing, and then I was in Krakow for a few days as a part of it because uh, we moved everything to have more kiln capacity and all the different glazes on site at this uh, ceramic studio. So now I'm just, I'm in uh, <laughs> whipping my life and my house into shape mode because <laughs> it's a disaster. And I'm happy to actually have a few months now to make work for a show next year and not have oh, this rush where it's like, you have 90 days to, you know, think of something and make a show so i actually have some time i can experiment i can have fun which i haven't in a long time where is the show uh in paris uh at gallery derouillon uh oh amazing i love them me too are you gonna be a pshemek in paris (laughs) (laughs) i should call the show pshemek in paris i think that would be the best Uh, a friend of the pod, a uh, social worker, my good friend who lives in Key West, just actually also finished watching Emily in Paris the other day, and we had a we had an interesting exchange. Uh, Hi, Sage. Hi, Sage. About her thoughts on the uh, on the matter. Um, yeah, we just like compared it to Sex in the City, and how basically regressive this like as much as i love emily in paris it's such a regression <laughs> compared to like <laughs> to sex in the city the puritan uh features are just so much more uh, intense this time around it's true um oh, well. and i was telling i was telling her i feel like whereas in sex in the city it was all about like us like in a sense like uh acquiescing or like giving into like men's desires and and like need to you know dominate you or sort of work within that very narrow scope to kind of achieve an upper hand. I feel like with Emily in Paris, it's like doing the opposite to men, yeah, almost. Um, yeah. Okay. And she said something to like the tune of like Emily doesn't know good sex essentially. Do any of us? <laughs> all right on that note on that note we'll see you next time at choosy choosy (laughs) kovsky bye mirror bye bye